0: The month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And this uh, Sunday, we're going to continue on the topic of mental health. Uh, The first Sunday of the month, if you'll remember, we talked about how our deepest need that we have as beings is not necessarily physical. It's not bodily. It's spiritual. Our soul is the source of our deepest needs, and only God can fully and truly satisfy the need of our soul. And then last Sunday we looked at Psalm 42 and how life at times can feel like an overwhelming flood. I mean, it just feels overpowering, like a wave crashing over us and flipping us all around. Or it can feel like we're in this flash flood torrent and out of control. Psalm 42, as we talked about last week, it's, it's not a psalm that's uh, attributed to David. It's attributed to the sons of Korah, and we talked about who they were and their responsibility to the, the temple and to the music um, of the temple. We also saw in Psalm forty two that whoever this author was, this son of Korah or the group, maybe sons of Korah, that they had been taken away. They had been led into to cavity. They cav- captivity. That's the word, and they were being held. They were distant from God physically. But it led to this sense of being distant from God spiritually. But he knew that he could still pray. He knew that he could still sing. And so that's what that psalm was. It it was a prayer to God. We talked about how three times the psalmist repeated the refrain, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Today we're going to look at Psalm 23, and before we read these words, look at these words, let us pray that God would illuminate his truth for us. God of heaven and earth, our souls are restless until they find their rest in you. May your truth this morning inspire us, may it guide us and strengthen us for today and for the journey ahead. May your joy and peace fill us. No matter what circumstances we find ourselves in today or any day, Lord, we know that you are good, and we ask for your guidance and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you may already know Psalm 23. It's it's pretty famous, might be the most famous of the Psalms, because it's just beautifully poetic, and it's rich in truth. It's one that comes to mind when all is well in the world, but it's also one, maybe especially so, that comes to mind in times of great distress, and even as one is facing death, it's often used uh, during funeral services. And so we're actually going to look at it today, we're going to, this is kind of a two-part thing, we're going to look at kind of the first half today. And then next week, we're going to pick up kind of right in the middle where we leave off and look at the second half. So we're going to look at Psalm 23 over over this Sunday and next Sunday. But let's look at these words. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a place for me, or before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So first let's note that this is a psalm of David. And that's significant especially when you think about the imagery of the words of this psalm. Now we don't know some things. We don't know when David wrote this psalm. We don't know under what personal circumstance he wrote this song. It doesn't give us that specific context We don't know if David was writing this song, maybe as a young man, or maybe when he was being pursued by Saul before he took the the throne kind of officially. We don't know if he wrote this at the height of his power and reign, or maybe as an old man later in life, thinking back. I tend to think that it was one of the latter two, after David was kind of established as king or maybe later on in life, but we don't really know. But we do know about David's story, don't we? We know that before David was king, or even someone with a military reputation, a royal reputation, that he was a shepherd. In 1 Samuel 16, Samuel the priest goes to Jesse in search of God's next anointed one who would take the throne after Saul. And so Jesse lines up all his sons, all except one. One. Right? That one who is tending the sheep out in the fields. And Samuel looked at the sons and none of of them were who God was going to anoint. So he says, do you have any other sons? Well, there's one watching the sheep. Samuel says, go get him. Go get that one. David comes forward and Samuel anoints David to be the next king. But David was a shepherd. And being a shepherd, being in the fields with the flocks, you know, day and night, speaks to David's David's kind of modest upbringing. And even later as king, you had to know that David knew what it meant to be a shepherd. That That was his upbringing, that was his life. He knew what it meant to be a shepherd. He didn't just grow up in an ivory tower. He knew what it was to work the fields with the sheep to be their day and night caring for them ensuring that they had safe fields in which to graze water to drink and he led them you know with his his staff and his rod he, he guided them along the way to where they would need to go and he kept them safe from predators i don't think those days and nights in the fields with the sheep ever left david's memory you know I, I imagine that even as king you know even as king of the whole em, uh say empire but nation and he's got his 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 uh palace that's what i was trying to think of the word his palace there i don't think that even then he forgot what it was like to be a shepherd or as an old man looking back i don't think he forgot what it was like to be a shepherd i think there was a certain fondness about those early days of his life and our text today psalm 23 it's not so much a prayer, if you, if you look at the words. It's more of an affirmation of faith. It's, it's reflective, and it's thoughtful, and it's, and it's personal. It's almost like a, like a journal entry that someone would write, you know, as they're, they're putting some perspective on life. These were personal words for David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, there's many names that we can refer to God as. Or, or Throughout Scripture, we can, we can refer to God as Creator, as Lord, as El Shaddai, as God Almighty. We can describe God as eternal and infinite and transcendent. But for David to say, The Lord is my shepherd was to describe God in a very personal way. Describes God as caring. And notice the the extra personal touch. David doesn't just say, Well, the Lord is like a shepherd. God is like a shepherd. No, he puts that, the Lord is my shepherd personal. There's a relational aspect there. Now to say that the Lord is my shepherd also implies that David placed himself as what? David placed himself as the humble sheep, right? The thing that is under the care and the protection of the shepherd. If God is the shepherd, David is the sheep. And a sheep was an animal in total need of care and protection. But a sheep that was under the care of a good shepherd didn't have to worry about anything. They could just be a sheep, grazing, drinking, lying down, just being a sheep. As long as there was a good shepherd, life was good for a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul under the care of a shepherd that sheep was completely content i I picture kind of the sheep back then like we treat our pets today that's the illustration with the, the children's lesson you know our pets we feed them We give them fresh water. We groom them. Give them a place to sleep. Basically, we take care of their every need. Like, they have us trained pretty good, right? We think we train them, but I think it's pretty much the other way around. I mean, I know our dog at home, when it hits 8.30, it's bedtime. Like, she lets us know. She'll kind of give us a little bark or growl, or she'll just go to bed. She's got us trained. But if you remember... A couple weeks ago, we focused again on the deep need of the soul and how only God can satisfy our deepest need. That's really what David's describing here. Just like a sheep is dependent on a shepherd, David is acknowledging his dependence on God. In our modern world, you know we we view being dependent as weakness if we have to depend on someone else or something else that oftentimes is is kind of a we don't like that term the only time we like the term dependent is when we're you know claiming dependence on our taxes and we get a you know tax break on that that's the only time we like the word dependent but if we have to think I have to be dependent on someone else that makes us a little uneasy it's kind of viewed as a negative thing For whatever reason it is, it tells us that we're not self-sufficient. We don't like being dependent on someone else or something else. But being dependent on God is actually a source of strength. It's freeing for us. When we finally come to a place where we honestly and humbly confess our need to God, our need of God... When we come to that place, our souls are in their rightful posture to be filled with his grace. And here David describes how his dependency on God restores his soul. When he has God, he sees clearly that there is nothing greater that his heart desires. I shall not want the sheep has everything it needs for a peaceful life because the shepherd cares for it and in that the sheep is happy to follow the shepherd notice that it's the shepherd no go go back yep notice that it's the shepherd who initiates and directs these actions he makes me lie down in green pastures He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. It's the shepherd that is the the working agent in that. That's what a good shepherd does. As long as the sheep follow the shepherd's voice, the sheep's needs are met. Our world tells us and graduates especially hear this. Our world tells us that our greatest purpose in life is met when we reach our ultimate potential or we obtain the greatest amount of personal success that we can. That's what, that's what the world tells us is our greatest purpose. But that's misguided. It's untrue. Our greatest purpose in life is met when we are surrendered to, the, to living for the glory of God if you're surrendered to the glory of God, your soul will find joy. Even if everything that you're facing at the time seems catastrophic, even if you're facing failure, you're facing struggle, even in the worst of times, if you're surrendered to God, your soul can find joy even in those trials and hardships Being surrendered to the glory of God doesn't mean that everything will be happy. That's exactly where David goes next. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's some pretty deep imagery. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David essentially says, God, you're leading me. And I trust you. You are the great shepherd. And even when things seem like they're leading me through this terrible and horrible valley in life, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's why David will fear no evil, because God is with him. But you have to catch what that means. That means that the shepherd enters the valley with the sheep. I want to focus on this kind of topic of valley and what that might look like in, in life for us. And specifically, the topic of depression. We're talking about mental health, and that's uh, depression is, you know, maybe the, the biggest uh, topic under that umbrella. And it's no secret that depression is, is not only common, but it's a significant mental health challenge. And it, it's one that, if you look at the, the charts and the graphs, it only seems to be rising, Steadily. And so the following statistics I took from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention as well as the National Institute of Mental Health. And it says that it's estimated that 21 million adults just in the U.S., all these stats are just in the United States, that 21 million adults had at least one major depressive episode in, in a year, in 2020. That doesn't mean, like, you know, they got sad or, you know, they, they went through some grieving, but, but could be clinically, like, diagnosed as having a major depressive episode. 21 million U.S. adults. its about 7% of the population. The highest prevalence of major depress- depressive episodes was among people aged 18 to 25. Think about that. That's college-aged. As you likely know, depression is a major factor um, in situations of suicide. And right now, suicide claims more lives in the United States than than war or battle or conflict or murder or natural disasters combined. In 2019, which was the kind of the most recent year I could find on certain statistics. Suicide was the 10th leading cause of death in the United States with almost 48,000 people committing suicide in one year. And just for perspective, that's about two and a half times the rate of homicides. While it was the 10th leading cause across all ages, it was the second leading cause of death for kids aged 10 to 14. That's upper elementary school and junior high. Second leading cause of death for ages 15 to 24, high school and college. It was also the second leading cause of death for ages 25 through 34, and it's only after you get to 35 that it moves down just a little bit on the the ladder. So basically from the ages of 10 to 34, suicide is the second leading cause of death only behind accidents, unintentional injuries. To put that in more perspective, if you were to average it out, just in the United States, someone commits suicide every 11 minutes or so. If you think about our hour-long worship service this morning, that means that five people, at least five people in the U.S. have committed suicide, if you take the average. It's a serious problem. And it's a trend that only continues to get worse And lately, it seems like it's been a topic on the news with some frequency, with the passing of Naomi Judd. And it's especially concerning amongst college-aged individuals. Just in the past couple months, there have been at least three separate, separate collegiate athletes take their own lives. Athletes who, on the outside, would seem like they're doing great. I mean, they're doing great in their sport. They're doing great in their colleges. They seem to have their life together and by all accounts have a bright future ahead of them. We have to know that depression and suicide are major issues, and they're also complex issues. There's no simple solution to, to that fix. But first and foremost, it's important to know for everyone to know, for, you, for yourself if you're ever in that state or for someone you love, that there's always help. There's always help. There's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. It's 1-800-273-TALK. That's 8255. But also there's counseling services on college campuses. Junior high and high schools uh, also have counselors and counseling centers all around town. There's also family members and friends and pastors and, and those who you know care about you. It said that, I've got a quote here, depression is among the most treatable psychiatric illnesses. Between 80% and 90% of people with depression respond positively to treatment, and almost all patients gain some relief from their symptoms. But first, depression has to be recognized. 80 to 90%. It's one of the most treatable things that we can do if we just seek help. If we just reach out, if we put ourselves in that place to be able to receive help. So I say that if you or anyone you know or love uh, struggling with depression, it's okay to seek help. I also wanted to um, commend a book if if the topic of mental health is something you want to learn more about from a Christian perspective. Um, I found this book that I really appreciated. It's Finding Jesus in the Storm, the Spiritual Lives of Christians with Mental Health Challenges. It's, it's a book by John Swinton. And part three of that book, chapters four and five, deal with depression specifically. And I feel like it does a good job framing it up in a Christian perspective. When we talk about joy and hope and these, these tenets of the Christian faith... How do we grapple with the deep issues of depression, of mental health in that way? And I feel like uh, John Swinton does a good job, and I'm going to get more into that next week. But for now, I want to offer a few closing remarks. Traversing through the valley of the shadow of death is something we never do alone the shepherd is with us. God is with us. As like Paul says in Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? All those could be related to the valley of the shadow of death. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If there is one central message of the Bible, it is that God is with us. And God is not just present on the mountaintops of life. He's not just present on the, the plains of the ordinary days of life. God is present in the deepest and darkest valleys of our trials and sufferings. That's what the cross of Christ not only represents, but in fact proves. Jesus entered the darkest valley of all that we would never be alone in ours. Jesus also says in John 10, verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. And if I had to give one piece of maybe practical advice this morning, for whenever you may be facing the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that may be for you, for any individual, having scripture. Not only in hand, but more importantly, in mind. Committing it to memory. That's why I printed out these for you this morning. If you didn't get one, there's probably more in the back tables. But maybe put it up. Consider committing this to memory. Because when we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, there's not a lot of light to be able to, to read and to process then. We need to have words like this committed to memory now on our good days on our mountaintops on the ordinary days plain days we need to spend time with these words so that when we do face those trials they're with us they're in us they they repeat in us they point us toward truth they show us that even though i walk through this valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me So I'd like to end my sermon a little different today. I'm going to ask us all to stand together. And we're going to read aloud. This is kind of an impromptu affirmation of faith this morning. So we're going to read aloud the words of Psalm 23. They're on the screen, but they're also on on your sheet if you'd like them there. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. This time I'd like to introduce our graduates to you this morning, but not in person in the flesh. We've got a video for you, so it's always fun, you know, when the baby picture pops up, you've got to try to figure out if you know who